Well, today we complete our sermon series that we've been in since back in September in the Gospel of Matthew entitled uh, The Prophetic Messiah Through Matthew's Eyes. And of course, I chose these texts way back in the summertime and just kind of matter-of-factly threw this one down, Matthew 2, 1 through 6, because I knew it was the story of Jesus' birth, so we've come uh, full circle. We've talked about what Jesus is like as the Messiah all through this series, and then we come to the actual story of his birth when he began his life on this earth. And really, God has done us a favor through this text because, uh, as John mentioned earlier, this has been a difficult year uh, for us as a congregation it's been a difficult year for other people in lots of different ways. And uh, this text is a wonderful text uh, based upon Micah 5, uh, portraying Jesus as the shepherd of his people. So I'll read uh, these words for us, the first six verses. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now as we talk once more about this a prophetic Messiah with this birth story. There are all kinds of interesting things that we could talk about this morning. Within the context of this passage, we could talk about the wise men and what they are and, and what they're not, but we've covered that in other sermons. Or we could talk about this star and how it let the wise men know that the king of the Jews had been born. But back on Christmas Eve in 2014, I talked about a colloquium on the star of Bethlehem and how that had been described in a Christianity Today article. And should you have missed that Eve message or forgotten it, as the case might be, no judgment, by the way, the consensus of those learned scholars was that it was a rare conjunction having to do with Jupiter and the moon. And since Jupiter was associated with royalty in ancient cultures, anything out of the ordinary having to do with this planet was given great consideration. So we've covered that aspect of the story. Or we could talk about the tyrant of a king known as Herod and what a great contrast he is to this gift of the baby born in the manger. You know, Herod was powerful, he was ruthless, he was paranoid, he was all sorts of things that this baby was not. 
As one scholar put it, the arrival of Jesus is breathtaking in its potential, but alarming in its vulnerability. But we've discussed God's sovereignty in other sermons and how how God kept Jesus safe during his childhood and even provided financially for his refugee status. Or we might decide to talk about Bethlehem. It's, it's interesting that in this second chapter alone, Matthew mentions four geographical locations, and he quotes Scripture every time he mentions one of them. The first, of course, is Bethlehem, like we see in our text. But also he mentions the land of Egypt. He mentions the city of Ramah, which was north of Jerusalem and was the scene of national grief as it served as the place for deportation for the exiles after Israel had been defeated by Babylon. And then he mentions finally Nazareth. And especially as we think about Bethlehem as the birthplace of of David, the shepherd boy who became the king of Israel, as we think about Ramah and all of that grieving and mourning that went on with Uh, the people losing the promised land because of their disobedience, along with Egypt thrown in on the side, thinking how the, the people of Israel had been enslaved for 400 years in that land, we can see that Matthew's focus in the larger picture is not just on Jesus as the Messiah, but Jesus as the Messianic shepherd, the one who cares for his people just as King David shepherded his people. And one place we can see this concept described so clearly is Ezekiel's 34th chapter, where God says through the prophet, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I will make them lie down says the Lord God and listen to the good news he gives us here I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the crippled and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will watch over you see what God's telling us through the prophet Ezekiel there whatever our situation in life. God is there to care for us and and watch over us and enable us to be His people just like a shepherd enables his sheep to live a wonderful life. And that concept or theme is where I want us to spend our time this morning as we think about this prophetic Messiah for this last time viewed through the lens of Matthew in his gospel and where he points us toward, which is Micah, the prophet Micah. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So many times we get caught up in all the other interesting facts about the birth story. But do we really think about what it means that Jesus is your shepherd and my shepherd?
We've already mentioned Ezekiel's words, but keep in mind that Micah ministered a little more than two centuries before the time of Ezekiel. And Michael also speaks to this theme of shepherding for shortly after the verse about Bethlehem. Micah describes this ruler who is to come by saying he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord. And they shall dwell secure. And as we think about this theme, and especially this term shepherd, what does that remind you of? A certain psalm, maybe? It's not a hard question. Psalm 23, where David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down, where? Green pastures. He leads me beside what? Still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they do what? They comfort me. Why is this psalm more requested than any other by families at a graveside? Because it has so much comfort baked into it. The fact that God loves us so much that He cares for us and and feeds us and leads us and guides us and protects us and goes with us even through the valley of the shadow of death. Now we've already mentioned Ezekiel 34 and Micah 5 and Psalm 23, but that just provides the tip of the iceberg when it comes to what Scripture has to say about God and or the Messiah being our shepherd. Psalm 100 reminds us we are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Or think about that wonderful passage in Isaiah 40 where Isaiah says he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. I think that's what this stained glass artist had in mind when he or she put this window together over here. Shortly after their meal together in the upper room, you may remember that in Mark 14, Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he was telling them how they would all abandon him. And then he said... You will all fall away, for it is written, and he begins to quote the prophet Zechariah, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. In Hebrews 13, we find where that author refers to Jesus as the great shepherd, and then Peter, in his first letter, calls Jesus the great, calls Jesus the chief shepherd. But for me, this theme finds its ultimate passage in John 10, where we find not one but two I am statements of Jesus among those I am statements sprinkled through John's gospel. For he says, I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
I know my own. And my own know me. You see, if we know Jesus, then we follow Him. And we not only follow Him, but where He is, there we want to be also. It should be instructive in our passage that when Herod asked some of the religious leadership, the chief priests and the scribes, uh, where the Messiah is to be born, they know the right answer. They can quote the prophet Micah. And they quote that prophet to Herod right there on the spot. From the standpoint of accumulated knowledge, they are perfect. Their minds know exactly what they're supposed to know. But what about their hearts? We don't see them rejoicing. If someone came and told you that the very thing for which you'd been hoping all of your life was about to be realized, you would do whatever it took to go out and and find it or, or touch it or see it or whatever it takes. I mean, think back in your own life, in your childhood, something you desired so much and how hard you worked for that. I don't know what it was for you. When I was 12 or 13, all I could think about was getting my driver's license because my daddy let me drive the boat on Lake Norman. Now, that wasn't against the law back then. It is now. You have to have a driver's license to drive a boat. But ever since I'd been driving a boat, I just could not wait to get my driver's license. So I did, when I knew the summer I was turning 16, I did whatever it took. I mean, I studied that book from the DMV for the written test, and I took driver's education at the high school. I familiarized myself with every part of my mother's car because I knew she would be going with me to the DMV. And on my birthday, I went. Thank the Lord, it was on a weekday. Uh, that year, I went and, and, and got my license, the thing for which I'd hoped for, for years. And that was just a driver's license. That wasn't anything like a Messiah. Not only do they fail to rejoice, but they don't even offer to go with the wise men. This is the religious leadership of the whole Jewish nation. The ones who are in control. The ones who know the right answer and they don't even go. They give their answer. He'll be born in Bethlehem. And then they go home. Bethlehem was only six miles away. It's not like it was going to be some kind of great hardship for them to go and see this king of the Jews. But they do nothing. If we really know Jesus, don't we want to worship Him? Don't we want to do what it takes to see Him and be influenced by Him? No such response was forthcoming from these religious leaders. So we have to conclude that they were not Jesus' own. Jesus said, my own know me. Now, it's one thing to talk about them, but let's make it a little more personal. What conclusion would people draw about your life? Are you one of Jesus' own? 
Well, continuing with our shepherd theme, we've already talked some about Psalm 23. But Warren Wiersbe, who has written more Bible study books than you and I can count, uh, makes the point that Psalms 22, 23, and 24, which all were written by David, by the way, he says they all belong together because they describe the shepherd ministries of Jesus. Now, when I first read that, I thought, I'm not sure about that because the word shepherd is not in Psalm 22, nor is it in Psalm 24. That just sounds like, I thought, something some guy who writes Bible studies would say. But following a little more study, I see where he's coming from with a statement like that because Psalm 22, which Jesus, of course, quotes from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's how that psalm begins. That psalm depicts Jesus as the good shepherd. And the reason we can say that is because the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And that's part of what Psalm 22 is portraying, the suffering and the agony and the sheer cost of paying for sin and what Jesus was willing to do. All the way down to being forsaken by God to save you from your sins and to save me. And then in Psalm 23, Jesus is the great shepherd as Hebrews 13 calls him, the great shepherd who, who lives for the sheep and cares for them in so many different ways. James Montgomery Boyce points out the importance of the words in that psalm, I shall not want. You know, the Lord's my shepherd, David says, I shall not want. Which points to contentment, that we don't lack anything. And he tells us that in the psalm, David tells us that he's content in the Lord in reference to five different things. The first is he does not lack rest. He makes us to lie down. Now, I just got back from spending uh, half of the weekend with my daughter, Rachel, uh, to check on my new granddaughter. And she has two large dogs. And, you know, those dogs they will lie down anywhere. I mean, in the floor, on the sofa, on top of you. It just doesn't matter. But sheep aren't like that. There has to be a lot of things going right for sheep to lie down. There can't be any friction in the flock. There has to be a feeling of safety and security and they have to have been well fed before they'll ever lie down in that psalm secondly David does not lack guidance we're told there that the Lord leads him beside the still waters third he's safe even in times of great danger, even when he has to go through the valley of the shadow of death. Fourth, God provides all that David needs. He prepares a table for him, even in the presence of his enemies. And finally, he has a home that will last forever, where he will dwell. 
in the house of the Lord. He's wonderfully blessed in this life. But it's not just in this life that we know and experience God's goodness. We know it forever. Think about that good news that Peter gives us. When he says, by God's great mercy, we've been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the first thing we're given, a living hope. And then he goes on to say, and to an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And this eternal and sure home brings us to Psalm 24 where Jesus is the chief shepherd who comes for the sheep to take them to glory. You remember how Psalm 24 talks about him. Who is the king of glory? The Lord is the king of glory. And that's why when he's manifested at the last days, people will receive the unfading crown of glory as Peter makes clear in 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, you know, most of us here today are really blessed. We have wonderful and comfortable homes in which to live. But we have to remember that so much of the early history of the Jews involved them being nomads. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they lived in tents. Think about the children of Israel for that whole generation wandering around in the wilderness. This is why these words of David about wanting to dwell in the house of the Lord forever are so important. There were still enemies all around. They could lose the promised land. They could lose their home, their inheritance. But you and I can never lose our inheritance because it's kept in heaven for us. It's like Paul tells the church at Philippi. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior who is Jesus Christ, the Lord, who will change our lowly body to be like His glorious body. We are only travelers. Our citizenship is in heaven. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And speaking of eternity for those in Christ, John has this to say in Revelation 7, Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their, guess what? Their shepherd. The Lamb, the Lamb who's worthy to be slain will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Indeed, as John puts it a little later in Revelation 21, death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain or the former things, for they have all passed away. It's the good news of the gospel. And it's the good news of Christmas that Jesus is our shepherd, the good shepherd certainly, who lays down his life for the sheep. But he didn't stop there. He said, I will not leave you comfortless. 
He continues to shepherd us by the power and presence of His Holy Spirit. And I hope you find that as much good news as I do. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forevermore. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together.